we, we have sort of a two-sided mission. One is to work with North America-based global businesses to help them expand all over the world. And collecting payments is a big part of that global expansion. But I think increasingly we have a second mission, which is to help merchants with an increasingly complex North American domestic market. Hi everyone, it's Julie Verhage Greenberg here with your Text Time podcast from FinTech Today, where we talk about all things FinTech. In this episode, I am joined by Brian Demir, president of North America at Adian, a payments company that we all know is one of the the very first fintechs that I remember going public during my tenure of covering fintech. So Brian, I'm excited to catch up. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Pre-show, we were raving about Amsterdam, uh, just since that's where Adian's based. I remember when I visited, I actually grabbed drinks, and I remember seeing Adian's office right by where we did grab drinks. It was a place with a really nice view. You might even know exactly where I'm talking about. So you were working for Adian in Europe uh, at the headquarters, and then you came out to work for them in North America. Talk to me a little bit about how that transition has been and how Adian thinks about North America versus the European market. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, so I've been working in fintech for a while. I originally come from a fraud prevention background, and my initial role at Adian was actually Adian's first product manager, which eventually evolved into being head of product. And I worked with a bunch of other amazing folks to to build out a, a great product organization. Uh, but then, yeah, about a year and a half ago, uh, moved back to the Bay Area to take on the GM role of North America. And I think that's just been really fascinating, but both from a personal standpoint, because it's interesting to take on the task of general management more broadly. Uh, but we have this really amazing moment, I think, here in North America as a business. I think we we have sort of a two-sided mission. One is to work with North America-based global businesses to help them expand all over the world. And uh, collecting payments is a big part uh, of a lot of that global expansion. It's really the driver for a lot of businesses. But I think increasingly, we have a second mission, which is to help merchants with an increasingly uh, complex North American domestic market. I think what's happened in the last five years in the North America market, in, in particular in the last year and a half during COVID, has taken what used to sort of be a a very straightforward, oh, just do cards and then you're done market. And it's becoming much more complex. And uh, I think our solution is helping merchants uh, meet the moment with both of those missions. How large is your North American operation at this point? Because I remember when I first started covering you guys, you definitely were growing quite a bit in North America, but you weren't necessarily the first company that people would think of around here. Yeah, it's it's a great question. And so in, in H1 of this year, we crossed the quarter of a trillion dollar mark in terms of overall processing uh, of Adyen's platform. Um, North America accounts for about 22% of that. And we're growing at a really significant pace, uh, nearly double the, the, you know, the rest of our company's growth. Um, in terms of people, we're well north of 250 at this point. I think we were about 140 when I joined. Uh, so we're bringing on more and more people to, to take on that mission. Uh, and yeah, like I said, we're uh, approximately a quarter of Adjun's business, but growing significantly. So what did that look like pre-pandemic and how has the pandemic impacted not only the North American business, but obviously it was a global pandemic, so businesses um, across the globe. And how have you guys been able to um, to help with that? 
Yeah, well, first and foremost, I would recognize uh, all of the aspects of COVID uh, that are really challenging, right? I think many of us come from a, a position of privilege that we can sit here and talk about the business opportunities inherent in, in, in a global catastrophe like COVID. So I'll take a moment and just recognize that. However, next to that, I think uh, COVID has acted as a very real inflection point in terms of digital transformation. Um, I think for a very long time, for over a decade now, we've been working with digitally native companies to see through their mission, right, all around the world as well as domestically in North America. But COVID has effectively forced more and more segments, verticals, and companies to embrace digital change. I mean, just look at, I don't know, going to a quick service restaurant, right? Uh, five years ago, or maybe even two years ago, go to the drive-thru or go up to the counter. Those were the, your choices. Now there's kiosk. Now there's in-app order ahead. Now there's in-app order in store, third-party in-app delivery. And I'm probably missing two or three different channels. And all of these new channels are digitally native ones. And there's begun, there's there's beginning to be a blurring of the lines between channels. And I think more and more verticals are meeting that moment, hospitality, food and beverage, retail. Uh, and that's been the big change that previously maybe one or two digital challengers in each of those spaces would be saying, hey, Ajin, we, we like this whole unified commerce thing you're doing. Let's talk. Now it's actually converted from sort of a nice to have to a must have to survive because it was obviously needed during the height of the pandemic. But now consumer behavior has adapted and it's becoming sticky and the expectation has now been set uh, across the board by the consumer. How do you guys think about forecasting what payment trends are going to look like following the pandemic now that people are starting to go back into stores um, while still doing so, uh, some of their shopping online? Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic question. And I think we benefit from the fact that we've established one platform that's both geographically and channel agnostic. And we've been that way since day one. So, you know, our ability to respond very quickly when there's a new trend is, is there, right? And I think we, we benefit tremendously from that and that we can watch with our merchants, where are the consumer trends? Uh, and we can jump on those as soon as you sort of hit that tipping point, right? Because uh, the goal isn't necessarily to have every single payment method you could possibly imagine. Uh, it's about figuring out what's the appropriate mix. But maybe more central to your question is, you know, how do how do merchants see this and how do they forecast and anticipate uh, the change going forward? And I think it, it really does vary demographically uh, uh, who a merchant's customers are as well as geographically. And I think we're just now coming out of the Delta variant to the point where we're seeing where the stickiness is on these new trends and we're seeing where people are going back to normal. And I think the short of it is that some of those cohorts are going back to normal. Many are sticking to their behavior. And depending on the overall demographic layout that a merchant has, there's either more or less stickiness, if that makes sense. And you, you mentioned consumer trends as well. One that we've seen a lot of lately is this sort of one-click checkout. So when I think of it, I feel like digital wallets were kind of one of the first steps towards that. And then you also have things like Amazon that make it very seamless to check out. Shopify will send you like a six-digit code. You plug that in and it just like inputs all your information for you because no one wants to get up and get their credit card, especially when you're laying in bed shopping at night and whatnot. Um, but what are you guys seeing around this trend and how are you guys uh, playing a role there? Yeah, uh, what you're effectively describing is network effects. And I think there are various, I'll call them entities, that come from a different positioning of being able to have a network effect. 
I think the traditional one that we've seen for a really long time is obviously the networks, right? We call them the card networks for a reason, and they have a network effect in and of themselves. They have a brand, they have a recognition, they have a consistent uh, integration across banks. I think from there, you then have various payment methods and wallets, some of which use those card networks, some of which use uh, a varying mix. You know, think of a, a PayPal, for example, uh, or even an Apple Pay, Google, Google Pay, et cetera, as well as your new entries. Uh, you then have your buy now, pay laters, which are the newer ones. And I think the newest trend is platforms that in and of themselves have a network effect, uh, like a Shopify. The way Agent sees it is that we're in many ways equal opportunity because different entities are going to have different network effects that appeal to different types of customers and demographics and have a different match to a merchant and what they're looking to achieve. So our goal in the end is for our one platform uh, to offer all those different flavors and all those different partnerships because different ones are needed for different scenarios. And going back to one other thing you touched on earlier, too, was that you, you got your start out sort of in the fraud space, um, yeah. really monitoring that. And, you know, we obviously touched on the fact that more and more is happening online and more payments, more anything, which also means more fraud is happening. Um, how are you guys thinking about that and making sure that you are keeping fraud levels down, if not even lower than what they were before? Yeah, it was interesting. I think... During the sort of peak of the pandemic, there was a lot of discussion and articles and and honestly, a lot of CFOs saying like, hey, my, my fraud just spiked, but it coincided with their e-com spiking, right? So uh, actually, a lot of merchants, when they dug into the numbers, their ratio of fraud to transactions remained re- relatively consistent than before the pandemic. But since e-commerce started becoming a disproportionate uh, amount of their overall business, of course, in aggregate, uh, uh, those those fraud losses went up. Um, but to your central question of like, okay, what are we as a company and what are our merchants doing to prevent that? I think the fact of the matter is I think we need more technologies to make e-com over time just as safe and secure as a card present transaction is, right? I think there's relatively few and little uh, uh, fraud losses in that side. And I think it's going to be a combination of technologies Machine learning driven fraud prevention systems, which I think at this point are just the name of the game. Um, um, we're doing that. Most most players in our space are doing that. But then I think increasingly there's going to be technologies like uh, 3D Secure 2, network tokenization, as well as click to pay, formerly known as secure world commerce. So if you take this sort of tapestry of four approaches and technologies, you put those all together, and actually, that's going to be the future of commerce on the internet. There will be a day in which we're not entering a pan anymore, uh, and that's going to be a watershed moment in terms of overall uh, uh, fraud dynamics for for digital payments. In the meantime, however, I think it's about applying the technologies that are ready with our merchants, in particular machine learning, and where appropriate. And this is only relevant in some uh, geographies. Things like three secure two and active authentication. You you rattled off a bunch of things that me Sorry. as someone that is not a payments fraud nerd and doesn't know what they are, but like I guess explain them a little bit and then you talk about how like we're not there yet, but that's what we're going towards. So when should we expect to get? Yeah, towards sorry this, to get all payments era. wonk on you. I come from a product background, so my bad habits come out right. So I think it's right to think about it this way. Um, in the next five to ten years, we all need to figure out how to make it so that when you do 
uh, a digital transaction or an e-commerce transaction, you're not putting in a PAN, a 16-digit card number, because there's there's inherent problems with that, that you have this one number that can escape and get out there and then be used by fraudsters. And there's a myriad of technologies that are coming together that are being developed by uh, in, like EMV Co. as well as the card networks that are going to allow for that. And I think Importantly, it's going to involve authentication technology. So how do you, with a fingerprint or an SMS phone verification or what have you, verify you are who you are? And next to that, a way of saying, I'm who I am, but without that 16-digit PAN number, right? Similar to how you would just log on to some payment methods like a PayPal, I think the the entire payments ecosystem is going to need to move to that approach. And that in of itself, going back to your, your previous question, is what's going to make uh, commerce more secure online in the end. Something else that I wanted to touch on, because I've seen you tweet about it a little bit, is DeFi. Does DeFi play any role in this? Or is DeFi something that is going to be you know, in, in other pieces of payments? Or are you just fascinated by it as like a product guy in the fintech space? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's a great question. I think um, if you boil down just sort of like the core premise of DeFi, uh, and I think this is one of those things where you could ask 100 people and get 100 different answers, right? I would argue that it's basically uh, individuals proposing different pipes to make finance happen. Uh, and those pipes have different features. And I think there's an emphasis on speed and decentralization in a lot of uh, the DeFi world. I, I think, honestly, it's a lot of TBD. I think it's a lot of to be determined of how much these approaches and technologies are going to fundamentally challenge the pipes that we all use today. Uh, I think there's definitely advantages to what's being proposed in the DeFi world. And I think when you looked at just sort of cryptocurrency more broadly, uh, I think it's it's very clear that it's become a speculative asset. The question will become, and I think stable coins are really forcing this question of, uh, at some point, do consumers start holding these things and then want to pay with them? I think these are the two central questions we're asking ourselves uh, at Agin and most payment processors are asking ourselves. And we're going to respond to our merchants' needs and the needs of their end consumers and what they're demanding, and we'll follow suit with our one platform. What sort of trends are you seeing there right now? Like, I would assume demand for alternative currencies and, and different things is picking up, but is it picking up dramatically? Or it's just always so hard to tell because I follow a bunch of people on Twitter that are obviously fascinated by this space. So it, it obviously seems like there's a lot of stuff going on, but maybe there's less than what I thought. <laughs> uh, well, there's plenty going on. I think the, the question becomes, when when does everything in this space move from being a, a speculative area where people are effectively investing to a consumer adoption where, where people would want to hold on to these things and actually pay with them day to day to buy a, a bagel or a, a bike or, or, or what have you? I think to a payment processor, that's the big question of when will the consumer interest move out of the investment and speculation realm and more into the, this is my day-to-day -day, uh, thing, currency that I hold in my wallet and therefore want to pay with. I think the coming years will tell us a lot in that regard. What I will say from our perspective is we have one platform and we implement many payment methods. If that demand comes, you know, we'll certainly be ready for that from our perspective at Adyen.
You also have this, you're not just Europe, you're not just the North America, like you guys are around the globe, so I'm sure that the trends that you're seeing in this space vary from country to country, and you can kind of, I guess, like future cast based on what one area might be doing and getting ahead of the curve than, um, than other ones might be. I think that's totally fair. I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a non sequitur, but I think we, for example, saw a lot of trends happen in, in Asia Pacific before they came to North America. Uh, the advent of QR code payment methods, for example, uh, the advent of Android-driven payment terminals and all-in-one devices. So I absolutely agree that we have our own sort of little network effect in terms of being able to see trends as they go from region to region. Are you more or less bullish on payments more broadly over the next 12 months than what they've had over the previous 12 months? Because you've seen some companies like yourselves, like PayPal, like Square, like many in the payment space that have just done extremely well during the course of all this for reasons that we've touched on today. What do you think the next 12 months of payments is going to be defined by? I think it will be defined by continued digital transformation. Um, I I won't speak to you know what this means for particular companies ourselves included. What I will say is I don't personally see a slowdown in the discussions happening across industries and within companies around digital transformation. And I think we need to keep in mind that there are trillions of dollars of, of spend that are, you know, are still not digital. And, and, and there's sort of an assumption that a very large proportion of that uh, is still to move. Uh, and that's different across geographies and segments and whatnot. But to me, this is just the beginning uh, of this transformation that's going on around the world. So if someone wants to find out more about what you guys are doing in North America, or pro I'm sure you guys are hiring and whatnot, how do they find out more? Yeah, uh, honestly, uh, adjun.com. Um, we, we, we have a great blog there where we keep up to speed on what's going on. We obviously have our job board. Uh, I'm relatively active on both uh, LinkedIn and Twitter, so people can feel free to, uh, to hit me up. We're always looking for amazing people who are interested in fintech and payments more broadly, as well as the B2B space. So uh, I would definitely encourage anybody to reach out who'd like to. Well, thank you, Brian. I appreciate you giving us all the updates on Adian and payments more broadly as well. We'll have to have you back again soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Julie. And if anyone wants to find out more about fintech more broadly and stay up to date on what is happening in this space, go to fintechtoday.co. That is our website. Uh, otherwise, I will catch you guys again next time.